This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. The Incomparable, number 638, October 2022. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. This is a special old spooky club. Chain rattle, chain rattle. <laughs> I 1982 am, is not old. I am your host. Well, it's old for spooky. Uh, I am your host, Jason <laughs> Snell. Um, uh, this is an episode suggested by Steve Lutz. Hello, hmm. Steve Lutz. Hello. Yes, once approximately every 15 years, an episode that I have suggested uh, ends up actually mm-hmm. being recorded. So this is a very special day. Shocktober! Um, we are discussing The Thing from 1982, John Carpenter's... Not, not that thing, the other thing. The Thing. <laughs> Wait, which thing? That, the... The, the, the thing, thing we're talking oh, about. the thing. Okay. I got that. And not and not the later thing. No, not this, the. This is the the thing the in the middle. One. It's not the later thing. It's not the thing from another world. It's not the ever loving blue eyed thing from Marvel Comics. <laughs> ben Grimm. It is 1982's The Thing, directed. Sorry, as the as the movie would style it, John Carpenter's The Thing. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you heard him. It's Philip Michaels. Hello. Hello, and I believe that it is, in point of fact, clobbering time for the thing. Okay, great. And (laughs) Erica Ensign is also here. Hello. I am here for any movie with that much real Canadian snow. Mm. Also, I'll point out that we've already had more uh, women voices in this podcast (laughs) than are in this film. Well, mm-hmm. uh, she needs about uh, twenty six more seconds to beat Adrian Barbeau's record as the uh, as the voice <laughs> as of the, the chess computer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Well, I hope I make it. That Kurt Russell calls a horrible name for no good reason. We have no uh, idea what the gender of the shape shifting alien in this that's, film that's, is. So. Well, that's, it's no, whatever sure. it wants Any. to be. I guess mm-hmm. it's it's I, I <laughs> its only identifier is thing. It goes sure. by thing. That's what it is. It's a thing. It's pronouns are so, thing and thing. And thing. And thing. Um, we did an episode where we talked about The Thing from Another World, which is yep. a pretty fun black and white movie that, it, you know, the monster is kind of a plant, uh, but it's a, I enjoyed <laughs> it. It's a walking carrot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but this it's black is, and white, so you can't tell. Right, <laughs> it's real carroty. It's it's uh so this this like that film is based on a novella by John Campbell called Who Goes There, uh, and I think that the idea here was to go back to the source material, and uh, you know, there's backstory here about how John Carpenter was like, why would I want to remake that movie? That was a good movie, and then he reads the novella, and he's like, okay, I can, I see, I can make this 
you know, it's it's a little bit more than a, than a walking carrot. We could probably do something with that. And they made just a, just a titch, this, just yeah. a little more. So they made uh, this movie. I find fascinating about this movie that it got not very good reviews and didn't mm-hmm. do very well when it came out. It got terrible reviews. Yes. I was shocked at how how people how much people hated it. Yes, yeah. it, it totally bombed at the theater. I think it made back its cost, but just barely. Um, and, and for the most part, I think it was less disliked than it was just kind of ignored, which was also weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it is a bit on the bleak side. Uh, it was released in June of 1982, which is not a great time of the year for horror movies, uh, let alone ones that yeah. take place entirely in the snow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then this is often often mentioned, but it also came out exactly two weeks after E.T., uh, which probably sucked up all the moviegoers who were in the market for a movie about aliens. Right. Mm-hmm. It's cer- what, cer- certainly a cuter alien. Yeah, what, <laughs> little what, different vibe, just a little. Enjoy the heartwarming tale of a cute extraterrestrial who forms a special bond of love with a young boy, or would I rather watch a pile of mucus and body parts eat a man's head? Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, it depends on the day, really. Yeah, well, it's a sunny summer day in June of 1982, so I feel like well. I'm, I'm most most people probably lent to the former. Mm. It's funny though because of course it has been it has come to be recognized as a classic which is this is this is you know sometimes you get those movies that are like well it didn't find an audience but the people who found it loved it and it became a cult classic I feel like that is usually the trajectory this is like no people rejected the thing <laughs> they didn't like it and <laughs> right. they didn't want to see it and then and, which I think says something about the zeitgeist I think absolutely E.T. is cited. People cite Star Trek Two. Like there were a lot of movies with like a different and more positive vibe than this sure. horror movie. Um, if people were not ready for it. Maybe it was the timing that it came out. In the they summer. cite the recession. I, don't know. I mean, it, I think times it was were also, not great. <laughs> it, it, it was. It was one of the early beneficiaries of VCRs and home entertainment because. Yeah. You can mm-hmm. th- this and Clue are two movies that people they came out in the theaters. People, it's not like people re- like eh, whatever. People like angrily rejected those movies, and uh, and and then people got to rent them and said, "Oh, yeah. this is actually pretty good." And a dam- dam- the damn kids took the tape mm-hmm. home and watched it a million times and said yep. it was great. Yep, yep. And that changed it. So I because so, by by the mm-hmm. time I saw it for the first time in college, it was widely accepted that the thing was uh, a good movie. Yeah, it was. And, it yeah. happened pretty fast, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. after the after the uh, VHS came out uh, and people started watching it and and got a chance to see it. And it's and so influential too, I feel like. It it does obviously it is it is based on some previous material. Um before we started the show Erica and I were talking about how the you know the classic <laughs> Doctor Who format of the base under siege. Yep. Um this is one of those. It's a great format for a claustrophobic kind of uh scary adventure kind of story. So it's a it, but it also has left it's um it's imprint on other movies too. So and it's got, you know, I I was thinking about Alien and Aliens a little bit when I was watching this. Uh Alien precedes it. I felt like John Carpenter saw Alien and then when he was thinking about the thing he was like, "I know, I'll just do Alien, but I'll do that one scene like eight more times." <laughs> and, and and in fact, uh some of the reviews for the thing said this is just a crappier version of Alien or a grosser version of Alien. Well, I mean, 
it's okay, different. I don't. I don't think I would. I don't. I don't agree it. with that criticism. Okay. But I, well, well, I'm going to slightly agree with it in the in mm. the sense that mm. I do think that you can see you can draw a line from Alien to the Thing, mm-hmm. and I do think the Thing is, you know, it's it's coarser. It's trying to be gross. It's yeah. it, it, it. I I agree, and yet they are more similar than they are different. And I think mm-hmm. that Alien is hailed as a great movie, and that's the thing sh- should be too, because it is <laughs> it is headed in that direction. Of it, it's. I mean, again. You know, you look at Kurt Russell in the beginning and knowing what I know, I'm like, well, I can pretty much guess that everyone else is going to die except Kurt Russell, which actually doesn't happen. No, no. But (laughs) when you uh, got Keith David in your movie, you keep him around. You keep him around. Keith David, because you never know when he might need to narrate a documentary about baseball. So (laughs) you got to keep him around. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's frankly... it, it shouldn't be underplayed, the grossness of this movie, because no. that grossness <laughs> is unbelievably quality. Uh, it's it's so well done. I think oh, Rob, it, it Rob Bottin... So, so, so sticky and gross. Absolutely. I mean, and everything about it is, is foul and drippy and gooey and, and Rob Bottin... I don't know if he won any awards for this. Probably not, because nobody no. watched it. But no. it is... I, I think it's it's perhaps the pinnacle or very close to of of practical creature effects mm. and even 40 years later there there are one or two scenes in here where there's stop motion that you can notice but almost everything still hits the way it did in 82 and that's mm-hmm. that's amazing considering you know it's 40 years old and uh it's it's great stuff. The the second thing that shocked me when researching this is I I, I said oh well this was when they started having makeup uh, awards in the Oscars so uh, clearly it, it it should have been at least nominated because I think the year before American Werewolf in London had been been nominated for the makeup award and no it was not nominated the winner that year Quest for Fire oh, oh. man Ooh. <laughs> wow yeah. that 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 movie. So it's yeah, like it is. there was a coordinated anti-thing campaign at no, some point. Really, <laughs> no, the, all of society just turned its back on the thing and was like, nope, yeah. we're not going to talk about that movie, which is, is kind of funny. I Okay, so the moment in this movie where I realized w- that it was going to wear not just its heart on its sleeve, but all its <laughs> organs on its sleeve. Several hearts. Um, <laughs> is there's a moment where they're trying to figure out what caused a person's death and so the doctor removes all of his organs and the the camera's like i'm just gonna park here while we remove organs from the cavity of the guy's body and i'm like okay just okay ground rules set movie right like i mean technically it's not really a guy it's kind of a pile of burnt limbs and Mm -hmm. and assorted Mm -hmm. strange looking bits that don't seem Uh, quite human so it's a lot more faces than i typically imagine yeah Yeah, but it's one face that's stretched out across about 10 feet but sure but but in the end there's just a bunch of human organs on the inside and we lovingly watch as they're all extracted and and that that movie the movie is sending a very important signal there about what kind of movie this is going to be i appreciated the line afterwards too explaining that they were all normal human organs because all i saw was just a bunch of you know goo and shapes and blood and it was important for me to know thematically that uh, some of it was actually normal but a loose assemblage of goo and blobs and blood (laughs) (laughs) well Fair. I mean, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely fair. Fair point. fair point. It's um, yeah, and so it's it's going to be a gross movie. I have, 
I have some I, I have some questions and I, I'm not um going to be that person who is like the um every single movie has to be well, you know, Steven Spielberg couldn't show the shark because it was broken and it improved the movie, which is, you know, is a cliche and it's overdone. Um, but I will say one of my thoughts upon watching it. So I like this movie a lot. I think it's really good. I, I think part of part of it is that it feels so familiar because it has been so influential with so many people. But I, I think it's very good. Early on in the movie, I did... Like, I, I guess John Carpenter, he's a genius. He knows what he's doing. But like, mm. I was thinking to myself, I kind of wish he had shown restraint in the first third or half of the movie where there are scenes that give away <laughs> what the, the, the creature is or what forms the creature can take. Sure. Where I, I felt like maybe I wanted it to build. And I, I realize. This is John Carpenter stepping forward and saying, um, no, I'm not going to hide anything. But like, there's the scene with the dogs and it's like, there's the, the, the dogs and then a thing comes out and has the legs and the kills the dogs and all that stuff. And I thought, would it be more effective in, to build the tension if we cut away from the dogs and didn't know what happened other than that there's, then there's horrible things happening. And I had that at a few points where I thought, you know, would it be more effective if he had saved it a little bit and shown a little restraint in the beginning? And that's the part that makes me feel like that's the horror movie director sense, which is like, nope, we got to give the people what they want. Sure. <laughs> My question for you, Jason, is in this theoretical version where he does restrain, is are the other characters seeing it and we are just not? Or is it completely hidden? Because I think it's important, at least for the characters to have seen what's happening in order to give them the motivation to have the reactions that they have. I think if I yeah. think if you if, if if they don't see it, then you turn it into a, a different kind of psychological thriller, which right. is, is not what was. Yeah. And I, and I guess that that is sort of what I'm getting at here is that I wish the whole movie was a little more psychological than it is, that it built a little bit slower and that the characters had a little more time of sort of like realizing what they're seeing. Um, and that's not what this movie is. This movie is very much like, <laughs> nope, there's an alien monster. And we all know it because we all saw it. And it, it it grew legs and crawled around like a spider for a while until we set it on fire. I think I, I would have I think I would have had more <laughs> trouble with the movie under those circumstances if the characters still sort of made the same decisions. Because they're, I mean, they're making dumb decisions left, right, and center. I'm just going to go off over here and we're going to split up even though we know... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that being alone is bad. And I feel like I can chalk those decisions up to the panic of having seen the things that they have seen. Whereas if 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 we didn't have the gross out horror stuff uh, that that had just been like literally shoved and splashed in their faces, um, that maybe they would have thought a little more carefully mm. before they took some of the actions they did. So, I mean, while I, I think I would like to see that 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 movie, that fictional idea of a movie, I think it would be a different movie and I would also still want to have this one exist for me to watch although I will say I actually just watched this for the first time last night somehow this yep. John Carpenter movie no, has same. always just been on my oh you know I, I'll, I'll get to it eventually sure. list so I never I, I had never seen it and I also never bothered to look up 
anything about it. Literally, the only things I knew about it were that it was uh, a John Carpenter movie, that it stars Kurt Russell, Kurt Russell. and that it uh, is, you know, similar to the John W. Campbell story and the previous movie. So yep. I was like delighted by like the cast and the gore and like mm-hmm. I knew none of that stuff going in and it was really fun for sure. Yeah, and it would have been a shame to uh, to to have to cut back on some of those gore scenes because they did spend ten percent of the budget on it. So. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree. There's a, one of the flaws I think in this movie for me is that uh, the the nasty stuff that goes down is a little bit middle loaded and front loaded, and the ending uh, the ending giant creature is kind of lame after everything you've already seen. Yeah, uh, yeah. along with Fair. like you don't even get to see how Gary and Nalls are dispatched. I mean, you get you get to see Gary carried around like a bowling ball, which is fun, but <laughs> but Nalls just disappears, uh, and then all of a sudden this thing pops out of the ground and he blows up, and that's it. That's the end. So it feels like <laughs> feels like things were rushed a little bit there. And uh, it, 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 meanwhile, in the middle, you've got what I think is probably one of the best single sequences of gross stuff going on in rapid succession in of all time oh my god uh which the, the, you know might when, have been better all the guys are tied up farther. together in chairs that's one of them but no no the, that, no oh i'll tell god. you what the great the, the defibrillators the, the, poor, poor yeah poor poor oh, norris well. uh trying yeah. to be revived yeah it's a very and, alien uh, kind of uh you know it is uh, any scene where a man's hands are chomped off by another man's chest, and that is not even the <laughs> grossest thing yeah. in the in the movie. That's a, that's a scene, friends. Right. It, it is. I mean, it, it is quite a thing. Although the scene that I loved is, and I guess maybe this says the kind of the kind of uh, psychological terror that I prefer to see is. I love the idea that they tied all these guys up to chairs, and then one of them turns into an alien monster, yes. and all the other guys are still tied next to them in and their own chairs together. And then a guy right. does kind of get his head bitten off. <laughs> um, but you know, it's sort of. But uh, that that scene was amazing, and it's so intense, and it's so you know because you're in the mind of the people who are there, and and Kurt Russell just can't get that flamethrower to light. Right. And Palmer's head is like <laughs> melting and splitting in half while these guys are jumping up and down. Oh, and then God. he stands up with with the, the chair and the other two guys still attached to it. Yeah. It's a very right? comic scene, as is the is the Norris mm-hmm. scene at one point, you know, mm-hmm. when the, the head tries to make a beeline for the door. Oh, wow. Heads <laughs> <laughs> aren't supposed to have legs. Wow. Yeah, they grow. Yeah, it turns into a spider, but it's also still a head. If somebody described that scene to you, you wouldn't believe that it had been filmed. Uh, (laughs) Doc slams the paddles onto Norris. Mm -hmm. Norris's chest splits open into a huge mouth. The mouth grows gigantic bear trap-like teeth, which then slam shut on Doc's wrist, neatly removing his hands. Uh, A bunch of tendrils shoot out of Norris's chest and form a creature on the ceiling that consists of spidery legs, some waving baby arms, spaghetti, and a long hairy neck with a messed up Norris head on the end. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, they shoot it with the blowtorch. Uh, while they're at it, Norris's real head decides to make a beeline for the exit, so it stretches off of his body and over the edge of the table he's lying on. Uh, and then a six-foot-long tongue shoots out and attaches to a nearby desk, which he uses to pull itself away from the flames. And then the upside-down head sprouts a set of spider legs and two long eye stalks and tries to sneak away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> scuttles. Scuttles off. And almost does it, but not How- quite. How do you even storyboard that and think uh, you're going to get away with filming mm-hmm. it and it working in some way? And yet mm-hmm. it's so well done that it's it's 
it feels real and that's yeah. insane. and then their their reaction to seeing the head um the legs after all of the rest of that was just it was just yeah. perfectly underplayed you gotta be effing kidding is yep. what the guy says yep yeah which is even funnier because you later learn that he's one of the guys that's been subsumed by the thing. So it's almost like it, the thing is in awe of itself and how ridiculous <laughs> it's being. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you in part by ExpressVPN. You probably heard by now you should be using a VPN when you connect to the internet. Adding an extra step to everything you do every day it sounds like a hassle, but if you knew how easy it was to protect your connection with ExpressVPN, you'd be already doing it. Yes, you would. ExpressVPN, the easiest way to browse safely, securely, and just better. So many reasons to use a VPN. Maybe you're away from home. I've taken international trips and wanted to get back to my Netflix or HBO Max or something. Guess what? VPN will get you back to the US from the perspective of the internet. And I know people do it the other way too. You can do that too. But that's the thing that I love to do is connect back home so that all my services that I'm paying for know that I am a U.S. member and that I want to see the stuff that I would see in the U.S. ExpressVPN gets rid of all those things that you might have hated about other VPNs you've tried. First off, it's blazing fast. Lots of other VPNs slow your connection to the point where it's not even worth it to connect. I've been there. You connect and you're like, all right, I'm doing this good. And then... um. Everything slows to a crawl. ExpressVPN doesn't lag or buffer. You can stream HD video with no issues. And using it couldn't be easier. Just open the ExpressVPN app, click one button, and enjoy instant protection across all your devices. It's that simple. Once you connect to ExpressVPN, you don't even realize you have it on. Your connection is secure. Your data is encrypted. You can set to whatever location you want to be in. And it's all just so easy. That's why CNET called it the best VPN. That's right. Go to expressvpn.com slash Snell. You can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash Snell, S-N-E-L-L, to get three extra months of ExpressVPN. Expressvpn.com slash Snell, my last name. Thank you to ExpressVPN for supporting the incomparable. My my favorite reaction in the movie is in that scene where they're all tied up, and Donald Moffat says, "I I understand we've all been through some stuff, <laughs> but would you mind untying?" Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. As I because I was sitting next to that monster as it was going through all yeah. of that. It's a great it's a great moment. The the um also that the scene that scene has the uh very carefully paced uh blood test scene yeah. so the idea here is uh, he gets the idea from the head sprouting spider legs that all it's not blood that comes out of you if you're a simulated human it's more of the thing and it will not want to be destroyed so if i attack the blood if it's blood it just sizzles but if it's not blood it will try to get away because it's part of the thing I mean, and that's pretty so, smart. Yeah. And so that leads to Kurt Russell standing there with his flamethrower and his exposed wire. And it, it's it's very much like, well, what about Literally you? Exposed wire, people. This is a family show. <laughs> what about you? And what about you? And, and you know, it's like you you seem pretty nice. It's probably not you. But there's like you. You're a jerk. It's probably you. Oh, it's not you. OK, right. Like <laughs> that's one of the nice elements of it is that everybody's got their suspects. But sure. it turns out not to be those. And they suspects. test the guy he just had to shoot, which, you know, means that mm -hmm. he's just killed a guy who yeah. was 
who was normal, although a bit of a weirdo. So. Yeah, who was also yeah. trying also, to get him. Also coming right at him. It yeah. was self-defense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clearly, clearly. Yeah, but and that leads to the one blood test that, of course, it immediately jumps up and <laughs> tries to flee and it turns into a monster. And then we get the whole thing with the everybody tied together in the chairs. It's it's a uh, yeah, that, that, I thought that was a brilliant, absolutely brilliant piece of work. I think, mm-hmm. and maybe this is, again, my bias, but I feel like that's the kind of thing that this movie does incredibly well. I see what you did there. And the, <laughs> that's the, you know, and, and then the next thing will be. So um, the thing that I don't like as much is I think the psychological element of like anybody could be the monster is not as as well handled that there could have been more made out of the idea that any one of us could have been the monster and and not even know and also the premise that it it invades your cells and sort of takes you over i thought there was maybe even a lack of it was like a missed opportunity to have that kind of level of horror depicted in some way that like you think you're you and you're you know eaten alive essentially by this thing um and and that that stuff was not as i would say as as uh well handled as the you know creatures chomping off people's (laughs) arms and jumping around and stuff which was brilliantly handled it was also a little confusing at first for me. I mean, I was willing to just sit back and, and go for the ride, but I I wasn't sure if it was like a pod people thing where like there's a another body out there and it's pretending to be you because they right. kept saying it's pretending to be human. And that at, at first it took me a little while to realize, oh, it's not that like that, you know, somebody's body is off in the snow and this is a complete fake. It has somehow possibly ripped through the clothes and like and was that a red hair herring completely or I, like there were a lot of little bits and pieces where i was just like okay I'm, I'm i've only seen this the once i have not completely followed the the dots from a to b to c until we got towards the end of the movie where i realized especially like that the blood test scene was like okay so it's it's just taking them over cell by cell we got that great um you know computer generated uh very slow uh picture of a cell being taken over and Wilford Brimley yes. staring at the screen and figuring out how <laughs> long like it, it would take. It was rendered on an Atari 2600. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. Um but yeah, it wasn't until that point in the film that I actually kind of started to even understand what was happening. Yeah. All right. Well, as somebody who's watched this movie uh several times over the last 40 years, I can tell you that the explanation for how the thing actually takes over bodies uh, never gets, it never makes any more sense. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and, gotcha. and I think the reason for that is very simple. I don't think John Carpenter cares about those kind of details. Yeah, that that is right. what it seems like. Yep. I, I mm-hmm. don't think he's very interested in it. I think he's perfectly fine just leaving that as a, as a thing that's sort of ill-explained. Oh, I see what you did there. And yeah, thanks. Jeez. Are we really going to do this? <laughs> no. I guess What's I set not? it into motion, so you, it's my own did. fault. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, and, and it's, it's interesting. I think, um, this movie in the, in the Carpenter canon is interesting because, uh, part of the reason I think, I, I think this is a great movie and, and I usually recommend it to people who are sort of interested in horror and not necessarily, you know, big horror people, um, is that, uh, Carpenter, you know, he was, he's well known for making most of his movies on kind of a non-existent budget. And because of that, I think most of them, except the ones that are kept to a really kind of uh, 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 simple, narrow 
focus uh, tend to feel, I, I guess unfinished might be too hard of a word, but they tend to be um, like a little bit ramshackle. Rough around the edges. <laughs> Rough around the edges is a good way to put it. Um, when he made the thing, he was riding high on the success of The Fog and uh, Escape from New York. And so he was actually given some money to work with for a change. And, and I think you can see it in the finished product. Um, it's, it's very polished for a Carpenter movie. Um, mm -hmm. it, yeah. it does still have plot holes and some glaring flaws, though, mm -hmm. as, you, as you point out. And, uh, and I think that's just because that's John Carpenter. It's like that stuff doesn't really matter. Right. What matters is mm -hmm. seeing a pile of goo uh, mm -hmm. with teeth on the end uh, eat a man's head. <laughs> and uh, and I think also that the while I agree, Jason, that uh, that leaning into more of the psychological elements of this would have made for an interesting movie. It would have also made for a very different movie. Yeah, uh, as yeah. as Erica points out. Um, and this comes in at a, a fairly tidy hour and forty eight. I feel like if they had expanded it to include more of that it would have ended up being longer and maybe a bit ponderous i i agree apparently apparently <laughs> there's a cut when they showed it on tv that had more backstory oh I'm i have that on my 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 special edition dvd i'll have to check that out. i'm not sure that i'm i i might have read that incorrectly but okay i i i, I also i think to make it less gross but um i oh. i think there was a push to add more more backstory to the characters and um I, I do know that John Carpenter disavowed that. Cut. Yeah. yeah, I think, Steve, I think you, you nailed it, which is that this is not when, when, when I, I was trying to get this across when I said there's another movie that it's sort of it, that it, this movie is not. I think it does come down to bottom line. John Carpenter's not interested in that movie. And right. that's I don't blame him for that. Like he he knows what this movie is. And he made a classic, right? Like, I mean, he, there's nothing against that. And in fact, I know I've said this on this podcast a few times, um, but like. Part of it is from a 2022 perspective, like all the screenwriters are very clever and they've seen all the classics and they've decided to subvert them or twist them in a certain way. And so when I say like, what would you do with this movie today? I think the answer is sort of what I said, which is it would be, there would be um, bodies out in the frozen wastes who would be sure. that would be evidence because you'd have to have that moment where somebody goes out having talked to somebody and then finds their body and realizes and has to double back you would want to you would want to do that bit that would be a good bit of business and likewise some of the other psychological stuff it would be good little bits of plotty kind of business in order to do the twisty turny thing and and could that be good? Yes, it could. It could also be bad, but it could be good. <laughs> but but it's not what John Carpenter is trying to do here, which is have a movie that really has some propulsion behind it. And that's one of the things I really admire at 109 minutes is this movie starts it, it, it and it moves. And even the the talky bits early on where they're like in the aftermath of the opening, um, it like it's already setting up the premise. It just keeps on rolling. And I admire that about it, even though I wish there had been more of those other elements. Like I admire the director for saying, no, nah. <laughs> that, that gets in my way. <laughs> I am. I know what I'm doing here. And he does. Mm -hmm. I, I also mentioned speaking of the opening. I love the opening of this so much because it's so strange and fascinating. Right. It is a dog. 
Yeah. And then there's a helicopter and you're like, well, why is there a helicopter? And then the helicopter shoots at the dog and you're like, well, why would a helicopter shoot at a dog? And again, (laughs) in a modern movie, it would be like 24 hours earlier. By the way, that Mm -hmm. would be the 2011 version of the thing. Yes, that is. Is literally that. Um, But then they try uh, to drop grenades on the dog. (laughs) And then it crashes and a guy dies, but the other guy gets out and he's shooting and the people get shot and they shoot back and they kill the guy and they're like, what is going on? And it's such a great setup of of like the mystery of well why would they be killing that uh, trying to kill that dog also it's hilarious that the people on the base are like wow i guess those guys just really didn't like dogs anyway we've got a dog now <laughs> yeah, that, yeah that, my, my daughter wandered into the where i was watching the movie uh, oh dear. at the beginning no no before and before i remembered uh how really gross that is and she didn't see anything terrible but she sees the person going after the dog and she's like, oh i don't like that guy i'm all well don't you worry about it also no. that's not a dog <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know if they did make this movie again today i think another thing they might do is put a bunch of women in it and um, that would make it think? a very different movie because i think maybe people would stop and think a little bit more before they act because this felt to me yeah. and i enjoyed it for what it was but it felt to me like the dudiest dude movie that i sure. have seen in a very long time which is another facet of john carpenter movies which i enjoy sure but uh but it made me giggle more than once to just be like really is nobody stopping to think uh, okay like the one <laughs> smart m- moment in the movie is the the blood test thing and, and everything else is just testosterone and mm. adrenaline go, right go, go. And, and you can almost excuse the stupid moves that they make just based mm-hmm. exclusively on these guys are running entirely on adrenaline and testosterone, and that's yeah. and whiskey and, and whiskey, and but the whiskey yes. I think J- is what, J- is what gives whiskey. McCready the Boy, idea. The, the J and B people really must have felt taken when they uh, <laughs> they signed this deal to be featured in the movie. They're oh, this is good. We're in a big Hollywood movie. I I'm sure our product will be played and it showed in a respectful. Oh my god! Yeah, it's the perfect <laughs> beverage to keep you company as you freeze to death in the snow. Uh huh. Well, I mean, as a Canadian, I can say yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Now, one of the problems, I think, with um, with the fact that this, this movie moves at a brisk pace, mm-hmm. uh, and this is one of the things that I think was most complained about in a lot of the reviews of the time, and, and this is what I think Roger Ebert complained about mightily in his two-and-a-half-star review, which mm-hmm. isn't bad. Uh, you know, he, he appreciated the nasty, gross stuff and, and enjoyed that, but uh, but the complaint is, is a valid one, and that's that with 12 main characters, uh, all of whom are dudes... And generally bundled up in uh, in snow clothes all the time, um, they're almost indistinguishable. Yeah, the first yeah. time you watch it, and there's there's basically no time to fit in any character development. Um, and so for everybody but McReady, Kurt Russell, uh, about the most that you get, and I have to I have to tell you who McReady is because <laughs> trying to match up the names to the actors is impossible, no. even as somebody who's watched mm-hmm. this ten times. Um, but yeah. Uh, it, all you get for these people is that they're all a little weird, um, which is not surprising for a bunch of guys who signed up to spend the winter in Antarctica. Uh, but it doesn't give you much reason to care when they get turned into goo. And so I think that is a, a casualty of of the brisk pace. Um, I'm not sure how much it would add to have that character development, because, again, that's not what this is going for. But yeah, I, I understand the criticism well, of it, and possibly it would have added something. In a different movie Maybe. with more of the psychological, like, who are you, who am I, which one of us is the thing, all of that, having a better idea of who the people are could be helpful. But I do think, again, John Carpenter's sense here is very much like, 
well, I need more guys because I got to kill them. Right. right? Yeah. And I got a whole movie where I got to kill them. So I need a lot of them so I can kill them all. Right. Honestly, to me, it felt just right. And I mean, yeah. maybe that was just the excitement of finally seeing this movie after hearing about it for so many years. It was like, no, that was that was exactly how much character development mm. I needed for each of them. Like, I, I yeah, I, I do have trouble with the names and, and putting them all together. But some of them, some of them I got pretty quickly. And uh, right. and like, you know, some of them were a little more on the caricature side than I would have liked. But uh, but that's all right. Overall, sure. it, it worked for me. The trick is to recognize them by their beards. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. I think there's just enough broad personality strokes on these guys. Yeah. Like Wilford Brimley is a, a curmudgeonly type who, you know, is a little unhinged, becomes increasingly unhinged. Um, you know, the the dog handler Clark is just kind of an oddball who's uh, likes know, dogs, an outsider, really and spends, likes dogs, likes dogs a lot more than the people. You, you get that pretty quickly. Yep. You know, there's uh the obviously there's the stoner guy and the the uh lazy uh radio operator and then yep. the cook who mm-hmm. doesn't care if people are trying to sleep because they got shot that day. Uh you know, there's you don't really need much more than that because they're just going to be dispatched in short order. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So, check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank member FDIC. By the way, I would like to introduce my favorite IMDb trivia note ever. Mm-hmm. Ooh. The char- the, 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 someone took the time to log on to IMDb and note, there are characters nicknamed Mac and Windows in this uh, in this movie. <laughs> However, since the movie predated, predated the Macintosh by a couple of years, it is likely just a coincidence. Uh, <laughs> you think? Yeah. Oh, that's delightful. Wow. That is. Um, wow. Windows does get oh, his what? head eaten by uh, a creature whose head is just Jaws. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know that tracks. I guess. Yeah. I don't. I don't yeah. know. The literal blue screen of death for yeah, him. I guess so. <laughs> and yeah. Mac freezes and uh, his eyes turn into X's. Yeah, like I can, I can, <laughs> I'm with Erica. I can picture what the thing 2022 would be like. And there would be fewer characters. There would be, um, there would be women. Uh, we would know more backstory. It would be more psychological. Like, and I'm not sure that would be, that might, again, well done. That could be a good movie, but. But what I admire about this. this movie is that is that, and I think this may be why this movie is so successful is John Carpenter knows exactly what he wants to do, right? Like he right. knows exactly what this movie needs to be and, or what he wants it to be. And he makes it the best version of that. Right. And, and, and I think what, what he's got going for him is some strong bones here, which is based under siege uh totally uh you know out in the antarctic so they're they're completely alone they have there's no they can't call for help there's the radios don't work and a, a basic premise that he is he has mined with great success already like three times in his career at this point yeah. no it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's it is, a winner it is a fantastic premise and then what's the purpose of this one and the purpose of this one is and and yes this is the plot of alien 
yeah, I mean, it is a great plot. You should use it. I recommend Base Under Siege. Yeah, Doctor Who did it for an entire season in the 60s. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. And uh, and and in this particular iteration of it, you know, he's got a few ideas about how he wants to have it play out. And and he executes on that. I think there are some funny moments like Kurt Russell at one point is like, look, I'm just going to go sleep in my cabin. And it's like, dude. (laughs) <laughs> something very strange just happened here. Maybe you should stick around. And he's like, no, nah, I just want to go sleep. In this is such cabin. a John Carpenter movie that the one time that he doesn't do the soundtrack to his own movie and gets Ennio Morcone <laughs> to do it. Ennio it, Marconi is basically imitating a John yeah, Carpenter. Soundtrack. It's like he borrowed his Casio and used I, yeah. the same, the same I, I saw, uh, demo sample. I saw a bunch of quotes from Ennio Morcone. They, they talked to him about this like 10 years ago. And he said, basically, it's like, well, I know what kind of movie John Carpenter wants to make. So I had the, I had the orchestral thing and I had the synthesizers and I thought, I'm just going to give him the synthesizers. And so, yeah, it's like literally Ennio Marconi's like, John, I, I did some John Carpenter music for you. And he's like, great. And then apparently there are scenes where, where they didn't have the music for it. And so then John Carpenter added his own synthesizers. And you can't tell. It's indistinguishable. No, you can't. It is Ennio Morricone doing his John Carpenter impression, which mm-hmm. is amazing. And he probably knew that's exactly what John Carpenter yeah. really wanted for him. So he got the same music for probably, uh, you know, several million more. Yeah, But a lot less work on his part. Oh, fair point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I like with that, other that stuff. Like, I got this great, I got this great guy to score my music, my movie, and he's like, "Yeah, I know what kind of music your movies sound like. I'm just going to give you that. That's professionalism." <laughs> uh, appara- apparently, won a Razzie for the worst score of oh, the year. Come on, because the, the Razzies suck. They suck. Yeah. They do. Yeah. I give the Razzies a Razzie. Oh, there you go. Oh, no. They just collapsed in on themselves. (laughs) Good. The Razzie has become the Razz. (laughs) Oh, no. What a a horrible development. Um, Yeah, yeah, to be honest, Jason, that movie you're describing, the modern movie that is basically the thing, but with women and character development and uh, more psychological terror, that's probably been made. Two or three I, I, times, it, it probably, it probably exists, been. and we probably just don't know about it yeah. because it's, it's, yeah. uh, you know, one of several dozen movies like that well, that exist now. And, and the legacy of this is is huge, right? Because there there have also been movies and TV shows, uh, uh, almost uncountable, I would think, that owe a huge debt to the thing because it is such a great, um, uh, you know, the isolation. <laughs> And the terror, like it's such a great premise, and and yes, also the thing is owes, like I said, it owes a debt to Alien, owes a debt to the thing from another world, but that's how it works. Is then you get yeah. the thing, and then everybody sees the thing, and goes, "This is amazing," and they make that X Files episode where everybody's trapped in the snow with the parasite that's driving people crazy, and like, which is a great X Files episode, by the way, and and it, you know, and it just keeps going like that, but. You can see, and so having not seen this movie was fascinating because I I have seen this movie in the sense that I've seen a half a dozen or a dozen things that are homages to this movie, even though I haven't seen this movie. What I didn't know about it was who was gonna, you know, who was gonna die, how, which one was the 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 alien and which one was not at various points, um, and the ending I didn't know because I assumed it would be very much an alien kind of ending where. Kurt Russell is the last one left 
and everybody and, and he then finally he dies that's he, what i was expecting he finally dispatches the alien and then maybe he dies or maybe he doesn't but it's kind of like one of those is going to be the way to go and apparently they 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 scripted many and shot several endings for this movie but the one they chose to go with is fascinating because in its ambiguity and i also think it is the voice of the director saying i am going to remind you what this movie is actually about which is about connection and distrust and suspicion. And so in the end, what happens is, yes, Kurt Russell is victorious. And then Keith David walks out of the fog and is like, oh, hey, I just got lost. And there's this moment which is like, well, is he one or not? And and they and and they both basically are like, look, <laughs> I hear that uh, J and B Scotch is great in situations like this, <laughs> and let's just sit here and freeze to death while drinking yep. Scotch, yep. and that's how the movie ends, which I love. I love that it's ambiguous. I love that the movie's basically said, well, if one of them is the thing, and they freeze, they'll just wake up and yeah. take over the world later. There's going to be a rescue party out to find these guys probably yeah. right after winter. When so we actually return. hope that they both just die. Sure. Because otherwise well, yeah, and, one and, of them's and, the thing. And, and McCready does say, yeah. you know, if, if, if one of us, you know, is, is going to take down the other one, neither of us is any, in any shape to fight back, uh, you know, which is true. Um, so you could take that to mean, you know, well, they're clearly both human because the the thing would just take advantage of right. that fact but maybe he wouldn't maybe he thinks you know well these humans are made of sterner stuff and i could be taking a chance so i'll just let him die and i'll freeze and we'll right. get on with it and a lesser movie and probably a modern movie would have the big heroic action where they blow each other up or they you know they blow the they blow themselves up in ensuring right. that the world is saved or and they again, could have like a 40 minute fight that uh you know, <laughs> takes up half the movie yeah and they open to another dimension at some point it's weird uh but this movie doesn't do that and again i just i really admire that i love ambiguous endings i love and this is why it didn't score well with audiences by the sure. way yeah. i love ambiguous endings though and i love the fact that this this movie is like does the world end are these guys not you know not aliens and they're just sitting there sharing a last human moment before they both freeze to death i don't know you decide the end and uh, I, I think that's I think it's great. I, I love I love that this is the ending they chose. Yeah, I am. I am deeply. Am, I'm deeply ambivalent about ambiguous endings. <laughs> like there's a part of me Fitting. that hates it. But actually, I really like cerebrally. I really like it. So I can understand why people would have left the theater. Probably like, at, well, yeah. at that time I was five years old. It's not but satisfying. Had I seen it later, I like but not now. I probably would have also been more frustrated but at this point i i i also have firmly come down on the side of loving it even though it intensely frustrates me but that's okay that's part of the part of the joy there are certainly worse ways you could die than than sharing a scotch with either keith david or kurt russell so <laughs> yeah sign but me one up one of the things that's that's interesting about this <laughs> this ending is that it becomes clear with about 20 minutes left to go in the movie that they're all going to die. Yeah. That's something you don't see very often. You'll frequently mm -hmm. see them leave open the possibility that, you know, oh, well, they, they, they somebody might survive and might be able to restart the generator. They make it very clear that generator's gone. It's yeah. actually mm -hmm. just been removed from the generator room right, to somehow. To build a flying saucer. 
And the characters also recognize it. Like mm-hmm. sometimes occasionally you get like the audience knows where this is going, but the characters still are holding out some sort of hope. And in this case, we're all in it together. We all know this ain't not this ain't going to end pretty like it's yeah. just going to be bad no matter what. Yeah. So it's it's bleak for sure. And I, mm-hmm. I get audiences, you know, especially ones who just saw E.T. two weeks before <laughs> you know, coming in. Oh, yeah. And, and I don't know, discovering... this feels like a palate cleanser to me, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> well, E.T. I mean, no shame death, to E.T., right? but it's a little cloying. Yeah. Well, I mean, they kill E.T. off and then they're like, no, he got better. I'm like, And I love E.T., but it, like that always bothered me. I was like, oh, no, he's dead. <laughs> we're going to go through all the drama. Oh, no, he's fine. Oh, <laughs> yeah. whereas here, it's like, no, we're all going to die and we know it and we just have to figure out what we're going to do here. And uh, yeah, I I love that. I love that about this movie. I get why it's not a crowd pleaser, mm-hmm. but I, I love that about this movie and the fact that it's very, that it lays down the rules that this is not going to go the way you think. And I I think about, I don't know. I do kind of love movies that, that, that get to this point where you realize the point of this. I mean, first off, these people are fictional characters, right? It's okay. The <laughs> actors didn't die, but also like, the point of a movie isn't always hooray the fictional characters survived right the point of the movie is <laughs> to make whatever kind of point it wants to make or leave you feeling the way you want you know it wants you to feel and i was thinking about an analog to this is maybe rogue one um spoilers for people who haven't seen the star wars movie rogue one but one <laughs> of the things i love about rogue one is that there's a moment late in the third act when you realize, oh, every character is going to die. Mm-hmm. Like, that is the moment. They're your moment. You're like, oh, they're not getting out of this. Along they're, with many Bothans. They are doing, yes. <laughs> and along with, oh, God. It's, right. yeah, it's our we, characters and, and they're so surrounded many. by like 80 Bothans. And you're like, we oh, should not have cast uh-oh. so many Bothans uh-oh. in this movie. Oh, never be around many Bothans, people. Yeah, it's yeah. a, a bad, bad idea. Bothans and red shirts, just stay away. Yeah, but yep. it, it, it's that moment, and I, I, I got like a almost like a tingle when that happened because it's like, <laughs> it's like Dark. you're gonna, you're gonna do it, right? You're gonna, and, and, and it changes the movie because it changes the purpose of the characters. The purpose of the characters is no longer to survive. In some ways, there's a purity to it, which is that they're they're fighting for a larger cause because they're lost. But there's a, a larger cause. In this case, it's basically to kill this thing so that it doesn't destroy all of planet Earth. Um, I, I like it when you get that shift in perspective. And that definitely happens in the last, whatever, 10, 15 minutes of, of the thing where mm-hmm. it's clear uh, nobody's going to get out of this alive un- other than the monster, maybe, unless we kill it. <laughs> um, I had another uh, question for all of you, which is the so there's a there's a crash UFO. <laughs> Mm-hmm. which is pretty As cool nice nice moment where they're like oh look the the norwegians uh also i love the the insularity of these people who are theoretically on a you know essentially international mission to the to the antarctic and the, and they can't tell the difference between norwegians and swedes it's like come on guys he's uh, a pilot but, <laughs> what but does he know? Th- there's the the and he's like six six Fingers into his bottle it's of it's true. already. It's true. <laughs> um, but they, they find that like, the Norwegians found an alien spaceship, essentially, and a a body in the ice. And that seems to be what killed them. Right. And you know, One again, of the few real parallels to the original movie, by please. the way. Yeah, it, I was struck by the, the visuals, how much it looked similar to what I remembered. It, it, it was like it was like John Carpenter said, oh, no, all those guys would be dead. 
<laughs> They're all yeah. dead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and for, again, more of the story of that, watch the 2011 The Thing, because that's mm-hmm. the story of that. But hmm. what, uh, what I wanted to ask is, is the implication that the spaceship was itself taken over by one of these creatures mm. and it killed everyone on the spaceship and it crashed on Earth? Or that the spaceship is the creatures? Because I I started to think, you know, is it is it that the spaceship was in its own horror movie where it was mm. taken over by these creatures and then they crashed on the Earth? Yeah, well, basically alien, except the Nostromo does My- not get... My answer is no, simply because the spaceship that was being built in the cave under the ice uh, by the alien. I mean, it's possible that this this alien creature is smart and savvy enough to have paid really close attention to that other flying saucer to Mm. just try to make another one. But I don't know. The the way that I read it was just uh, this is this is my technology. I'm trying to recreate it as best I can with, you know, chewing gum and chicken wire and whatever else is around here. The, the the flying saucer home game edition. Yeah, and that's that's <laughs> one of the few things in this movie I think is just kind of dumb. Is that flying saucer? Yeah, dumb. yeah, yeah no, that's pretty pretty stupid. <laughs> I'll make a small no, flying I, saucer. I, I put me down in the the team team conquest. That was it was the alien coming here to uh, to eat up the planet. All right. Wait, no, right. actually, I just changed my mind oh, because well. because ah! nobody wants to be on Phil's be- team. No, no, just because it wasn't Phil this this time. Uh, it's it was the it was the flying saucer being so ridiculous, the 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 silly looking child's toy version of it. So now I have changed my mind. I think that you're right, Jason. It was another horror movie on a spaceship, and this alien is actually not super bright, but it's sort of thinking. Oh, I could totally do that because uh, these other people that I took over. They were flying in a in a flying saucer thing, and it had a bunch of bits and bobs and uh, and metal and, and electricity. And yeah, I could absolutely do that. Mm-hmm. It's having yeah, to build sure. a flying saucer out of spare parts. Of yeah. course, it's gonna look crappy. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it was uh, it was it bit off more than it could actually chew. Well, uh, and I'm not talking about the guy's head or hands. <laughs> well, either in the Richard Dysart scene. Yeah. <laughs> either theory is supported by the the opening scene of the. The uh, the ship careening towards Earth because there's clearly something wrong with it. It actually right. like it's true. there's a little explosion just before it descends to the planet's surface. So it could be because they're fighting off these things, or it could be just you know one of those things where you're. Oh God, I'm tired of saying thing. Uh, it just, it just be one <laughs> of those situations word. where your spaceship, you know, just blows up sometimes. I like the classic uh, nature of the fact that it's the thing that's been buried in the ice for a hundred thousand years or whatever. Like mm-hmm. that's so great, right? Like it's just been down there all that time. Mm-hmm. But but we we are the true monsters because we do, the Norwegians are the true enemy. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're the monsters, those dog killing monsters. The, the one thing this movie was lacking. Is the guy who's no? We've got to keep it alive. We owe it to to human oh, yeah. knowledge. To to, to <laughs> get, uh, and uh, these are no. These are John Carpenter scientists where they're all kill it, kill it dead. Yeah. No, there is yeah, the, there one was, guy, the one guy. The one guy is it the doctor who says early. who says oh somebody's going to win the Nobel Prize for this thing. That's why we got to keep it around. And then he dies. Yeah, but he says it in kind of a uh, a jokey way. Yeah. Uh, also, I think it's early enough that he doesn't. Is I, I, I again only seen it yeah. once. Is that before or after they have the actual knowledge that it could take over the entire Earth? Yeah, it's before. Very easily. It's, okay. Yeah, so, it's well. I don't so, think yeah. Wilfred so Brimley has, has written down his notes yet about about how it could take over. Mm, that he conveniently right. leaves in a notebook out for others to read. Yes. 
which mm-hmm. you have to assume that that point he's not yet been taken over because it seems right. like a kind of a dumb thing to do if you are the thing. Yeah. Yeah. You'd yeah. think so. Well, so, I mean, th- these are some of the problems that, you know, you, you, <laughs> when you, when you examine the movie a few times, it's like, hmm, why would he do that? Again, in, was, a, uh... in, in a, a list of missed opportunities, I feel like this movie misses the opportunity of showing somebody being taken over successfully by the thing. And it's because it wants you to, it wants to, you to keep guessing about right. it. Right. Well, mm-hmm. you get, you get part of that with, with Bennings, the first to go that's, uh, you know, you see him, in a pile of writhing tentacles and goop. And then you do see him stagger out onto the ice and he's almost done with his transformation, except he has those bizarre looking really long alien hands, which is a great image that sticks with you for a while. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, I mean, although you don't see the entirety of of what's going on, I'm not sure you would necessarily gain much by that other than another million dollars worth of goop effects. Right. Which I'm okay with, but, uh, Again, but that's that psychological kind of aspect of it. Of what, what's sure. it like mm-hmm. to be taken over by the by the monster? Yeah. I don't know. Um, involves what, a lot of goop, a lot what, of tentacles. What else have we not uh, covered about this? You know, I was I I sort of jokily introduced myself talking about Canadian snow, but I seriously was very impressed by the look of all of this movie. You mm. had so much. I mean, I. I will admit, over the last couple of years, I've watched an awful lot of uh, terrible Hallmark and Lifetime romance movies that were filmed in Vancouver where there's no real snow. And, like, I've seen good fake snow. I've seen really bad fake snow. And as soon as this movie started, I was really excited simply for the snow because I was like, OK, this this is going to at least look good. And then lots of other things were good, too. But in addition to the snow and many of the indoor scenes being shot on a soundstage that was basically refrigerated so you can see people's uh, breath and, and all that kind of stuff that looks really good. There's also real fire and real actors using real fire. And I was just really impressed just from scene to scene by how, I don't know, realistic everything looked and just sort of gritty in a way that appealed to me very nicely. Like I just, I I felt the cold in my bones as I was watching it. It was just so effective. Right. Nice well, that's what happens Carpenter. when you give John Carpenter enough money to realize his vision, and mm-hmm. his vision is strong for what he wants to achieve. Uh, and unfortunately, when this landed with a dull thud, I don't think he was ever given this kind of money to make a horror movie again. He, yeah, he, he did spend a fair amount on Big Trouble in Little China, and uh, and Starman actually had a pretty sizable budget, yep. which I think is mm-hmm. probably one of his other most well-realized films. Um, but as far as horror, I don't think anybody wanted to front this much cash to him ever again, and uh, so you won't see this kind of uh, realism from John, I think, in, in the rest of his canon. Yeah. I mean, he basically, it changed the trajectory of his career. The fact that he made a classic film, but that nobody went and saw it. Nobody noticed. Yeah. <laughs> he threw a, a goopy party and nobody. nobody <laughs> yeah. So overall, um, I guess we I should summarize. I do have a few uh, items. Oh, yes. Steve. Here. Because I, I went through the... Uh, you are our, uh, our our selector of this, so please share. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I did... I <laughs> did Explain uh, yourself, our, sir. Our thing docent, as it were. Yes. <laughs> I, did, I did put together a very detailed plot synopsis in case somebody else didn't want to. Mm. Uh, we didn't even get to it. Which we didn't end it. up using, yeah, which the, is fine. The plot synopsis is they're on a base and then slowly It's under eating. siege. It's under siege <laughs> yeah. and sure. everybody dies. Okay. Except for Kurt well, Russell yeah. and Keith You could have mentioned that to me last night, Phil. 
Okay, sorry. <laughs> Before I took 17 pages worth of notes. Uh, but I'll just scroll through here and, and find if there's a couple of uh, choice items that uh, that I didn't get to mention because they were wrapped up in the uh, in the plot synopsis. Oh, um, yeah, you can claim a machine is labeled chess wizard, uh, but you can't fool an old nerd like me. That's an Apple II+. It's Plus. An, it's an Apple mm. II, and why would you have a dedicated chess thing and it's just a program, although then they have the voice that makes the it voice seem module. cooler. Yeah. Um, but yes, and also, uh, you're in Antarctica, dude. Don't short out your chess computer. You're not getting another one. <laughs> it's the first day of he winter. He must have been really drunk. That pinball machine and jukebox is not going to entertain you all the way the, through the December The implication is that it's the beginning of winter, and so everyone's a little stir-crazy. Yeah. They keep they keep making allusions to that yeah. in the the first act of the the movie also right. i feel it gets across that this is a group of misfits who've chosen to mm. be in antarctica sure and they're not they're not our you know our best and brightest and also this was two <laughs> years before the mac was invented so it was probably just a coincidence that... i know well it is mac who's dumping his uh his his j and b into an, into apple, an apple plus II. so maybe that's, that's because it is steve jobs literally rejecting the machines of the past that's right bring us into it ah, well you know it's not a lisa that he, he dumps on no. so um, let's see what else. Uh, oh, I think it's interesting that this is the second night in a row in which I'm doing a podcast about a movie that features somebody getting shot through the eyeball. Uh, wasn't <laughs> yeah. expecting that. Uh, wanted to mention real quickly uh, that Goodfellas tomorrow. Everybody in? <laughs> <laughs> no. Might as well do the tribe. Well, there's only two eyeballs in a human head, so I think two is enough. Uh, <laughs> just wanted to point out, I love that damn dog at the beginning. Oh yeah, that is the greatest dog. Beautiful and, dog. And uh, so, uh, so many of those scenes of that dog just like chilling under the ping pong table, sort of looking vaguely ominous, uh, it, it works so, so well. And um, I actually watched uh, some of a documentary about the making of the film. And um, Richard Mazur was saying that, yeah, that dog is, is half wolf. And his trainer basically said, yeah, um, he doesn't bark. You know, he's, he's, he doesn't get agitated the same way a regular dog does. But if he gives you that look, that serious stare don't mess with him because <laughs> that's when he's about to go off and you can see that in those scenes where he's you know he's just lying around or he's walking through the station then he'll like stop and he'll give that look it's like oh man that's the best damn dog actor i've ever seen mm -hmm. um let's see here uh there was a oh there's a funny joke here about quaker oats and diabetes that i didn't get to say <laughs> that's right uh, yeah once you're part of the thing you live forever and never die sure well, he's pulling out, you know, all those organs. He, it would be a perfect time for him to say, oh, well, clear signs of diabetes. But, uh, you know, didn't didn't happen. Um, I did want to call out, since so many of the effects are good, I did want to call out the one place where I think they're bad, and that's uh, the scene where Windows is being eaten by Palmer after they've been strapped to the, the chairs. It's pretty clear in those scenes that his flailing body is just uh, a dummy stuffed with straw, which kind of breaks the immersion a little bit. But when you consider how old these effects are, uh, to have one scene that doesn't quite go off. Um, and, and also, so many of these scenes are brightly lit, uh, which is, you know, raises the, the challenge rating by a vast amount. Um, you know, that whole scene with uh, Norris's head crawling away should look bad. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, it's a pretty good ratio, I think. Um, you know, one That's bad scene. That floppy body is, it, just consider it the very goopy flaw in the bloody person. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, I mean, they do, they do make an effort. There are scenes where they give you a glimpse of what is the real 
Windows body kicking around, and then they'll cut to the dummy flapping around, and it's so it's it's a good effort, but mm-hmm. yeah, I just it's it's it makes an interesting contrast. Um, and then the last thing is just a bit of trivia. Uh, this film was written by Bill Lancaster, who was the son of Burt Lancaster. Um, oh, the, also the Bad News Bears. Uh huh. He's written three screenplays. Uh, in his life, The Thing, one of my favorite movies, The Bad News Bears, another of my favorite movies, and The Bad News Bears Go to Japan, which uh, we won't speak of. But <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I think I you might really have also excited. had a hand in The Bad News Bears remake. I was really excited to hear what that third one was, and hmm, okay. Yeah, so no, well. I it may have, may, have, uh, may have said that in the wrong order, but you can't really say <laughs> The Bad News Bears Go to Japan and then Go to The Bad News Bears. <laughs> that would have ruined the surprise, too. But yeah, the, what an interesting filmography to have written those two films. Um, very different and all, both excellent, excellent screenplays. Apparently, he also wrote a uh, Firestarter screenplay that, um, that, that Carpenter Right, rejected basically, well, and got somebody. When else Carpenter to write. got uh, when when the thing bombed, Carpenter was kicked off of Firestarter too. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's why he didn't ended up not making that. So, so that's it. I think that's enough. Right. Uh, I'm very impressed that you guys all managed to uh, talk for an hour about the thing when there's so many anti anti horror folks around. So. You know, I'm not an anti-horror person. It's just not are. my my happy place. But I, I have so many f- like friends and college roommates and stuff who are very into horror that it's just it. This has always been a huge gaping stomach mouth of a gap that <laughs> uh, in my my movie watching history. Uh, so I was I was very happy to uh, plug it up with my hands. OK, this metaphor has gotten uh, out of hand, <laughs> um, but I was <laughs> <laughs> really glad much like that I got Richard Dysart is out of his hands. <laughs> um, and I, I happened to be staying in a hotel last night, so watching it on a strange television in a different like room was it, it really made the experience for me. And uh, and I'm just I, I, I'm glad that it didn't let me down because after all mm-hmm. of these years, I kind of went into it a little bit a little bit worried. Like, is this actually going to hold up? Is it going to be the classic that everybody says it is? And thank heavens it was. Yeah. Um, neither Stephen nor I had seen it before and we both really, really loved it. So uh, so thank Stephen you. Loved thank it. you, Steve. Really? Yeah. yeah. Yes. He's now seen two John Carpenter movies and we're two for two so far. Starman was the other one. Wow. Wow. I was fairly certain that he was going to end up hating it as you had Me suggested. Me too. But it's, it's, it's spare. Uh, there's not a huge cast. It's kind of minimalist. It's, mm. I don't know. It's got a, it's, it's from the eighties, but it's, it's got old. a little bit of that seventies greasiness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. All, yeah. There's, all there's good definitely things in a seventies hangover feel too. Yeah. It's too cold yep. for it to be smelly, but yeah, pretty close. <laughs> yeah. But you, you know, if it, if it warms uh, up a little yeah, bit. Yeah. No, those guys oh, are, those guys Kurt, are wearing a lot of layers. Kurt, it's smelly. Kurt Russell has, has an odor. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. It's, it's all man <laughs> in an enclosed space. That, that place stinks. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they absolutely. specifically call out Long John's in the kitchen. And I was it's like, all oh, right. Yep. Yeah. No, no. You look at those guys. They're all wearing seven or eight layers. And it's it mm-hmm. basically smells like uh, uh, somebody's hockey bag. It's yeah, feet. They are making, it's they're feet. making their own gravy. Yep. Thanks for making it real, Steve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Phil, how about you? Um, I am anti-horror. No, nah, I'm not anti-horror. I just it's not a genre that speaks to me uh, like like so many other genres do. Um. But I enjoy this picture. I enjoy the craft of it. Um, I I uh, think it's it's well put together. 
and it is not one that I will watch frequently because <laughs> I hate bo- I hate body horror so much, and uh, it's so goopy and gross. And uh, but but really nice on the paranoid stuff. I like the paranoid stuff. That's good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like the bit about the two guys in the snow eyeballing each other and dying. Yep. <laughs> we hope. Yeah. Yeah. If we're lucky. Yeah, I mean, horror, obviously not my favorite genre either, but this is, I don't know, there's something about, like, when it's an alien monster that's, like... Add some sci-fi in, and it makes the horror so much more yeah, palatable, other, doesn't mm-hmm. it, Jason? Other than the the organ, ext- I mean, the organ extraction didn't bother me, because we do all have gooey organs inside us, that's fine. And then <laughs> everything else was ridiculous, right? Everything else is like... Uh, uh, head blob spider creature right which See, is like that, that head, head blob spider creature is what i said well sir i've had quite enough of this <laughs> and, have to, and have i i i just was like well the room for a that's bit. well that's ridiculous right it's like, comical yeah, yeah so so is, for me is. for me it didn't push any of my buttons that are like uh, the real kind of like gross out disturbing things that I find in some horror stuff. Uh, yes, it being a science fiction horror movie helped a lot. Uh, that's clear from the first frame when when it's like a flying saucer. <laughs> like, OK, all right, we're, we're right. going to be OK. Yeah, this is a classic for a reason. I am shocked that it was so disliked when it came out. There are. H- had it, you seen this one before, by the way? No, I I hadn't seen it oh, before, wow. like six hours ago. So okay. yeah, uh, it's really good. It's really well done. Um, again, I can imagine some other movies, but again, I think what I'm really saying is this is such a rich vein that there are lots of different kinds of movies you could make with this fundamental premise, and I admire the fact that John Carpenter chose the one he wanted to make, and really also chose the one that. I I, sh- I think it shows an awareness of him knowing his own strengths. Like he mm. knows the kind of movie he wants to make here and he made that movie. And on those terms, yeah, I think it's I think it's really great and uh and looks good. Like again, he had enough money that not only does the gross stuff good look good, but the like regular stuff also looks pretty good. Um and the cast is really good especially Kurt Russell and Keith David, but, and, and Wilford Brimley, but, um, they're all, they're all good. It's a good ensemble and you like to see that in any movie like this. So, so yeah, um, thumbs up to the thing. I'll join the party. It is kind of a classic. So thanks, Steve. You got it. And I also enjoy the fact that Richard Dysart has a nose ring. Yes. Yeah, that like in it 1982 took me that was still transgressive. Yeah. And it took me forever to figure out where I recognized him from. Finally, like I had to look at IMDb and I was like, LA Law, of course. <laughs> Leland. Yeah, oh, that's Leland. a that's a thing that was meant to be like super hang a hang a lantern on who this guy is. And in 2022, we're like, okay, whatever. Sure. <laughs> no, that and he also deal. voiced uh, he also voiced Uncle Palm, the man that lives in the caves in Castle in the Sky. Hmm. A little minor to, guy. They need to take the scene. And just in the dub version, Steve. Just in the sure. dub version. Okay, sure. Okay, They need sure. to take the sure. scene where he, his hands get bit off and um, and recut it so that it has the L.A. Law saxophone <laughs> and, the, and the trunk yes, slamming yes, as his yes. hands are bit off. Yep. Sounds good. So get on that, nerds. Get get on that, nerds. So for my part, obviously, I I think this is a classic. I thought it was a classic since I saw it at probably age 12 or 13. Um, Didn't see it in the theaters, but uh, I think 
Uh, we did have the, I believe, Alan Dean Foster written novelization, mm-hmm. which I read, uh, I think, the summer it came out um, and probably caught it on video maybe a year or two after that. Uh, recognized greatness at the time. And I'm I'm overjoyed that it's been reassessed as a as a as a classic and possibly Carpenter's masterpiece. Uh, and I'm doubly overjoyed that uh, all of you seem to enjoy it as well. So thanks yeah. for uh Taking this gross, goopy journey. <laughs> oh, goop hug, everybody. Oh, oh no. <laughs> no, I, uh, no. The thing um, is, the, uh, well, we'll have to do another old spooky club next year, Steve. Sure. Well, I mean, the, the, the well of things that I can present to you guys, uh, you know, and, and hide in the veneer of sci-fi is, is running rapidly dry, but I'll see what I can do. No, well, I mean, you don't need to hide. Like old Spooky Club, it just needs to be spooky. It doesn't need to hide in any sci-fi veneer. I think you can, you can, I mean, I- You I, get look, one a year, one. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you. You now we've got a format, so I can't wait seven years to do Ginger Snaps. So we'll just sure. have to do it every year. Uh, you'll just right. have to subject me to an old Spooky. I'll start um, looking now. Uh, or mm-hmm. old Goopy Club. We could also do that. <laughs> old Goopy Club. <laughs> um, all right. Well, that, that wraps it up for now. Uh, Steve, thank you very much for picking uh, this movie for us. Thank you for, uh, you know, giving it your your uh, your eyeballs. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and I want to keep it. my eyeballs. I no, don't want to take my eyeballs. No, thing, please. Uh, <laughs> Phil, thank you. thank you for being on the journey. Jason, I want to come inside. Please let me out of this shed. <laughs> I want to come in. I, I need my Quaker in. oats. <laughs> it's the right thing to do to let me I out. I need of the my diabetes shed. medicine. <laughs> <laughs> and Erica, thank you for being with me in this space under siege. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Mm-hmm. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of Spooky of the Incomparable. Ooh. We will see you next time.